Today, billions of Christians around the world are gathering together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Regardless of the theological, doctrinal, and de denominational differences that exist within the universal body, one of the things that we all agree on is that Jesus rose from the dead. As a result, death was defeated and humanity was given hope and in life beyond this earthly existence. Of the many unique details that make Christianity distinct from all other faiths and religion, the greatest of them all is the res resurrection. Nothing at all in all the philosophies or religions can compare to that. No other worldwide major religious faith can make the claim that their God, their prophet, or their, um, or their prophet lived, died, and rose again. The supernatural and extraordinary event that occurred three days after the death of Jesus is unmatched and unrivaled. If it had, if it had never transpired, transpired, Christianity would have either died or have been placed in the same category as Confucianism and Buddhism. Without the resurrection, Christianity would have been a hopeless religion. In fact, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ is not raised, then our proclamation is without foundation, and so is your faith. But the truth is, Jesus Christ did rise from the dead over 2,000 years ago. And because we believe that he did, we joyously celebrate it. If you've been with us, um, you know that we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Last week, we finished chapter uh, 13, and Lord willing, in a few short weeks, we'll get deeper into the analysis of Jesus' resurrection. If you're visiting us, my hope and prayer is that you'll visit us again as we begin to get into the last three chapters of Mark. However, I believe the Lord has led me, led me this morning to share with you a few verses about what happened the first morning of the resurrection and why it matters to us as believers and why it ought to matter to you if you're not. On this Easter morning, I'm gonna tell you about the day death was defeated once and for all. So let's begin with the word of prayer and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord, again, we come before you and ask that you just speak to us this morning. Lord, let us hear from you. Let us um, know what it is that you want us to, to know and understand, Lord. Fill this room with your spirit, Lord. Fill us with your love. Lord, just, our, may our ears be open and our hearts be open to what you have to say, Lord. Again, you've ordained this day from long ago, Lord, and, and we're all here for a reason, Lord. Nothing is coincidence, nothing is, it's, it's, it's all you, Lord. You planned everything out. Feel this place, Lord, and help us to know you better, know you more intimately. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, the last chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped down to look in, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went home amazed at what had happened. Three full days had passed since the death, I'm sorry, since the trial, torture, and crucifixion, crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. He had been brutally, brutally treated. He had been whipped, spat on. We know that in Isaiah tells us that his beard was, was torn off and he was nailed to a cross. And a short time later, he had died. All the sins of mankind were placed upon him on that day. And forever, our relationship with the Lord changed. On that pre-dawn Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and at least two other women were on their way to the tomb of Jesus. Now, according to Mark chapter 15, these women were also there when Jesus took his final breath. So it's interesting that the last ones at the cross were the first ones at the tomb. Now, the reason they were going there was to anoint Jesus' body with oil to complete an unfinished task. Now, typically, the, the custom was when someone died, they would be embalmed or they would be treated and they would be... Um, <clears throat> they would, their body would be covered with spices and oils. Um, but it, what happened when Jesus was crucified on a, fr- on a Friday, the following day was the Sabbath. And so no one was allowed to do anything that day. The, the, the embalming and the treatment of oils and spices wasn't able to be done. So Joseph of Arimathea, when he placed this body, the body of Jesus in the tomb, he wasn't able to complete that task. So now that it was sunset, now that it was the Passover was over, uh, these women came and wanted to complete this task. But as soon as they arrived, they noticed that the tomb that was supposed to be guarded, it was supposed to be closed, was now open. When they went in, they immediately noticed the body of Jesus, that the body of Jesus wasn't there. Verse 4 tells us that they stood there perplexed, meaning they didn't know what to think or make of Jesus' missing body. Here stood this, these women standing there, like not, not sure what to think, what to, you know, they went there to anoint a dead body, but yet it wasn't there. And they couldn't, at that time, they, it wasn't clicking, it wasn't coming together. They're, they were just at a loss of words. Now, as these women stood there scratching their heads, Two angels wearing bright 
and shiny clothes appeared and just stood next to them. This manifestation of the angelic glory was so overwhelming that it caused the women to bow down in fear. Now, in a mild rebuke, they asked, these angels asked a question. And they asked, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It seems as these two angels were just as surprised as the women were. You see, they had also heard what Jesus said regarding his resurrection, and they knew that these women had heard it as well. So in a way, they were asking, why are you, what are you doing, and why are you here? What, why, if you've been with him for the past three years, why are you here? Like, what's, what's going on? Didn't you hear what he said? But before they could protest, the angel added, He's not here, but he has, been, he has been resurrected. I don't think you'll find, a more, to f- you'll find more beautiful words ever spoken by angels in the entire Bible than here and what they said here. They were telling these women, he's not here because Jesus isn't dead anymore. He is alive and he's risen the angels quickly began to explain to them the necessity of the resurrection. Just as much as the crucifixion was part of God's divine plan, so was his resurrection. In effect, the angel was was saying to the women, you should have expected all these events, the passion, the cross, and the resurrection, because this is what Jesus was telling you all along. It was at that moment, it says in verse eight, verse eight, that they remembered his words. Not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but he also, but so did the hope in the hearts of these women when they remembered Jesus' words. You see, it wasn't the tomb that gave them hope. It wasn't the words of the angels that gave them hope. It was the words that they remembered that Jesus had spoken. It was the words that, of him saying, I will rise again in three days. The Son of Man will rise again in three days. So in their excitement and in their joy, they ran back to the disciples, where the disciples were staying, and they told him everything they had seen and they had heard. Now the other Gospels do have different accounts and they, they get more into details about what happened at, at that particular moment. But unfortunately when they got there, it wasn't received very well. They were seen as just, as women that were in hysteria, they were just being irrational. Um, maybe they were thinking that, man, Jesus died, now they've lost their minds. And so again, they took it as, as if they were just talking foolishly. And it was initially ignored. Nonetheless, good old Peter. Peter wanted to see for himself. He wanted to find out for himself what was going on. And he ran as quickly, he ran as, quickly as he could to the tomb. Now in John chapter 20, verse 3, we're told that John was also with Peter as they made their way to Jesus' burial place. When they arrived, 
They saw Jesus, they saw Jesus' grave clothes folded nice and neatly there where he laid. And there was nobody there. There was nothing, there was just nothing there. Now, we're told in, that, in John that when he saw that, when John saw that, that he believed. But Peter here, it says that he just marveled. Could it be? Could it be that he rose from the dead? And that was what was going through his mind. I mean, is it possible that our Savior, that our Lord rose from the dead? He just marveled. But the impression from what Luke tells us is that he, Peter didn't believe yet. He still, was, he, he still wanted to have proof. He still wanted to know. Did he, was he alive? Was Jesus alive? When I was young, I was once asked what I thought about when I saw the cross. Someone said, hey, angel, when you see the cross or someone wearing a cross, what do you think about? What goes through your mind? In my naivety, I answered, I see sadness and I see pain. And while I wasn't completely wrong, I was only looking at it through one perspective. I was only looking at it through the perspective of someone, of, of an audience, an outsider, maybe from his family or his friends. But I wasn't seeing it from the inside. I wasn't seeing it for what it really was. Now, if someone was to ask me that question today, my response would be love, freedom, and hope. When I see the cross, I immediately think of John 3.16. For God, who, for God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. However, this morning I want to ask you, I want to ask you all what comes to mind when the topic of Jesus' resurrection is mentioned. What do you, what, when you think about that, when you think about, okay, what does that mean to me? What, what does a resurrection mean to me personally what goes through your mind whatever it may be it really comes down to whether you believe it happened or not author and pastor Tim Keller said this if Jesus rose from the dead then you have to accept all that he said if he didn't rise from the dead then why worry about any of what he said the issue on which Everything hangs is not on whether you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If you believe that it did, then it ought to give you an eternal hope that moves you to change the way you think and the way you live. If you don't, if you don't believe in the resurrection or if you have doubts, I hope that you'll set that skepticism aside for just a minute, for just a bit, and be open to hear what the resurrection proved and why it ought to matter to you. I want to begin by briefly explaining three significant facts that the resurrection proved. The first thing it proved was the existence of God. Nature in and of itself doesn't have the power to make something that was once dead come to life. Thus, 
the, sup- the, the resurrection was a supernatural event. Something more powerful, something more awesome, something more greater caused that to happen. There was no way anything in this world, any elements of this world, anything natural would have caused that to happen. Someone more powerful and knowledgeable would have had to have been the source to bring Jesus back to life. That someone was God Almighty. In Nehemiah 9.6 it says, You alone are Yahweh. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You You give life to all of them, and the heavenly hosts worship you. The second thing the resurrection proved was that Christianity was uniquely true. It proved that all religions and philosophies dealing with the main issues of the nature of God, salvation, and the afterlife fall short of Christianity. Jesus pointed out that his resurrection would be the greatest sign confirming his identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 64, But I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. Because of that, us Christians, those of us who follow him, those of us who believe in him, our faith is uniquely different than all the others that are in the world right now. The third thing Jesus' resurrection proved was that there's life after death. By rising from the dead, Jesus confirmed that life doesn't end when we die. This life isn't it. This what we live, what we see, what we experience right now, it's not, it's not the end of it. This isn't, this isn't it. This isn't all of it. Unlike Lazarus and anyone else who was raised from the dead, Jesus was the first one to rise and never die again. Everyone else that was risen by him, by Jesus, or by one of the apostles, or any of the miracles that may have happened since then, all those people died again. But Jesus was the first and only one to rise from the dead and never die again. And he lives for all eternity. And he lives now, and he's alive right now. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 3, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Right now, he's preparing a place for all of us. He's there in heaven right now at the right hand of God, and he's preparing a place for all of us. We too will all rise from the dead one day. If we were, if, if we were to breathe our last right now, our last breath right now as believers, 
we too will rise from the dead and we will be with him for all eternity. He's preparing a place for you and me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters supremely to the Christian because of the hope and faith it produces. Hope and faith in the existence of an all-powerful God. We have a hope and faith in a Savior that is far superior than the other gods, prophets, and philosophies of this world. And we have a faith in the promise that as believers, God will raise us up in the same way Jesus was when we take our final breath in these bodies. Ladies and gentlemen, now that I've told you about what the resurrection proved, I want to share with you three reasons why it, why it ought to matter to you. It ought to matter because Jesus was able to do what you and I were incapable of doing. Jesus Christ fulfilled the entire law of God, and thus he was sinless and he was perfect. You and I, on the other hand, are not. We deserve the punishment for our sins. We've sinned. Every, every, there's no one at all right now in this room that can claim, can claim, I've never sinned before. I've never said a lie. I've never stolen. I've never cheated. I've never you know, taken the Lord's name. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Yet Jesus Christ alone kept the entire law. He fulfilled it. That made him perfect. That made him, you know, that made him God. Yet, Jesus chose to receive the full punishment that we deserved for our sins. For every single one of our sins, he chose to take it on when he offered himself on the cross. As he hung there, the sins of humanity were placed upon him. And that's why you hear him say on that, at that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was, at that time, he was separated. The one only time he was separated from his father. And because of that, we're now made righteous. The debts for our sins were paid off by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a result, God sees us as innocent and pure. Because all our sins are now placed upon him. God sees us as innocent and guiltless. When we see the Father in heaven on that day, he will ask us, and he will, he will ask you, did you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you your sins? Are you covered by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of my son? And either you will say yes or no, but he'll know. Regardless, he'll know. He knows you. He knows who you are. But because of that, again, he's not going to see any of your sins. He's not going to hold you accountable for your sins. And say, my son, Jesus Christ, paid for all your sins with his blood. The resurrection was the completion of that process. 
It says in Romans 4.25, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The second reason the resurrection ought to matter to you is that it gives you a greater purpose for living. As a Christian, the knowledge that every choice and decision has eternal consequences should inspire you to to live in obedience to God. The more you live in obedience, the more God will be able to use you as an instrument of His will and purpose. See, life becomes less about you and more about pleasing and glorifying God. This life is not, you realize, you know what, I don't want to be, I don't want to selfishly live this life or I don't want to live this life in a selfish way. I want to be used by God. I want to praise God. I want to glorify God with everything that I am and everything that I do. And I just want to live for Him. And when you start to have that heart, when that starts to become your life, man, he's gonna, He starts using you in a very powerful way. If that's your heart to be used by God, then just continue to surrender yourself to Him. Start asking Him. Begin asking Him, what are those things that are keeping me from really giving myself completely over to you? Now, for every person, it could be something different. It could be a feeling. It could be anger. It could be sadness. It could be, you know, for, for other people, it could be, you know, toys and, you know, objects. And, you know, for other people, it could be relationships. But what is it that's keeping you from having that intimate, close relationship with, with the Lord? He wants to use you. He wants to use you in a, in a powerful way. But again, you must be willing to surrender these things to Him. Life becomes less about you and more about pleasing and glorifying God. It says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 5.15, And He died for all of us, for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And the third reason His resurrection ought to matter is that you no longer have to fear death. When Jesus walked out of that tomb over 2,000 years ago, all uncertainties of death were removed. On that Easter Sunday, Jesus took the keys from, took Satan, took from Satan the keys of death and nothing will be able to take them from him ever again. People fear death because they're uncertain about what happens afterwards. Ask any of your unbelieving friends, family members, what they think about death, and either they try to avoid it, or they just they try to change the subject, or there's just a fear in their faces. But as Christians, we shouldn't fear it. We shouldn't fear death because we know that something greater is awaiting us. We don't have to be scared. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, He proved once and for all when He walked out of that tomb 
that there is a resurrection. And there is something glorious, amazing, wonderful waiting for us. Jesus said in, in um, John 25, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let me repeat that, has passed from death to life. You'll no longer be judged as an unbeliever. You'll no longer be judged as a sinner. But now you have eternal life. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're here or you're watching or listening, I want you to imagine yourself walking into that tomb. Walking into that tomb over 2,000 years ago where Jesus once laid. And I want you to think how you would react. I want you to think what would go through your mind as you walked into that tomb. Would you ignore it? Because it just doesn't matter to you? Because it's just, oh, it's just Jesus and he's just another person and it's no big deal to me? Well, I hope that this message has helped you understand why it does, why it does matter. Or would you be skeptical and think that there must be a logical explanation for Jesus' missing body? Would you think that, hey, there's got to be a reason. It's, I mean, either someone took him or, or maybe he did walk out. But let, me, let me just say this. Skepticism is good. There's nothing wrong with skepticism as long as you're open to the possibility of anything happening, of, of, of the actual resurrection. Now, if you already convinced yourself in your head, in your mind, that there's no way Jesus could have risen from the dead, then you've already made up your mind. But as a skeptic, you know, you have to be open to the possibility. And Jesus will show you, the God, our God will show you through his word that he's not lying, that he's the truth. And everything that he says has happened, will happen, it's all true there. Perhaps like Mary, you'd walk in there perplexed and not sure what to think. Perhaps you'd walk in there and be like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? then I want you to go back and recall the words and promises of Jesus. Think about what he said and his, his promises to you specifically. Or would you believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and physically walked out of that tomb? If so, then keep, the, keep in mind the words of Paul. When he, wrote in Roman, when, he, when he wrote in Romans 8, verse 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. It was on this Easter morning 
that death was defeated? Will you stand with Jesus Christ in his victory or fall with the defeated? Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. He then asks her a question that I want to ask you. Do you believe this? If you do, then recognize your need for God and ask him to forgive you of your sins and accept his free gift of forgiveness. Now again, many of you are probably here believers in Jesus Christ. But again, where do you, when you think about the resurrection, do you think of Jesus as still being in that grave? As still being, you know, do you think of him in, in memory or do you consider him alive? Just like you and me. When you come to him, do you come to him as a real person that's alive, that hears you and that can speak to you? But do you talk to him in that way? Do you see him in that way or do you see him? As, oh, Jesus is still in that grave. Jesus is still, you know, he, he, he used to be a good guy and he used to be a nice, you know, teacher. I don't know. I mean, people have just different ways of going about speaking to him. But I know when I speak with him, I know that he's alive and I know that he hears me. And I know he loves me and that he died for me. But if you don't, if you're not a believer, and the Lord has been speaking to your heart. All you've got to do is just ask him to forgive you your sins. And he'll forgive you. And those listening and watching, you have the opportunity today to be born again. To go from death to life. Don't let another Easter go by without knowing for sure whether you'll make it to another one. If you're living with that uncertainty, if you're living with that fear of death, and you don't know, but you now, you want those answers, and you know that God has those answers, that Jesus Christ has the answers to all of your problems and your questions, then surrender to Him. He wants to open the door to your heart to Him. He wants to speak to you. If you want that assurance that he will raise you up from the dead to be with him of all eternity, accept him into your heart, accept him into your life, be born again. And if that's you in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to accept Jesus in your heart. But I want you to, again, you do this, do this from the sincerity of your heart. He's not dead. He's alive. He rose from that grave and death was defeated. Now one day, we're told, death will be utterly destroyed. 
it will be completely destroyed. But for now, it's been defeated and we don't have to go through it. We don't have to die. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word, for giving us your son to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. And with your power and your might and your glory, you raise them up, Lord. May your spirit just work powerfully within us so that we can share your love, share your gospel, to share who your son is, Lord. If one of those that are listening or watching and the Lord has been pulling at your heart or speaking to you, in the quietness of your heart, just pray this prayer to accept Jesus into your heart. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that all my sins were placed upon you. I confess that Jesus is God. And Lord, I repent. I repent for what I've done. Lord, I also know that you can forgive me. You, you will forgive me. And I accept that forgiveness, God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that I may walk in your way, so that I may know you. Thank you for making me your child, and I accept your forgiveness, and I, and I, from now on, I want to live for you, Lord. If you pray that from the sincerity, from the bottom of your heart, and welcome to the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for those who, who did pray for that, Lord, did pray to receive you, and I ask that you be with them. They may find good churches, good places, good people just to, to, to walk alongside of them, to teach them, to disciple them, Lord. Guide them in the right direction, Lord. And for us that are here now, again, I just ask that you bless every person that's here, Lord. And wherever they may be from, Lord, I just ask that you continue to follow them and bless them and grow, that they may grow as Christians, Lord. They may grow as believers. Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. Bless the rest of this week and bless this time of fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.